Hello and welcome to IRC Book Club for the third of four shows before we interview Nicholas C. Reed, author of Selling to the C-Suite. You well this week, Mike? Yes. And again, he doesn't ask me how I am. Well, the thing is, my- Jonathan, I, I get, you know a pet hate of mine is... How are you? They don't mean it. No one means it. I walk into a shop, you know, mobile phone shop, whatever, how are you? You don't care, so why ask? <laughs> You don't. All you really want is to sell me a mobile phone. Just say that. Why don't they say that? I want to sell you a mobile phone. I don't really care how you are. Listen, mate, I want to sell you a mobile phone. What have we got to do to sell one? Much better conversation than that. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Club. First rule of Book Club is you must always talk about Book Club. Second rule of Book Club is tell everyone about Book Club. So, this week on IRC Book Club, the show where we take a key text on the art of sales or business, we reconstruct it, deconstruct it, pull it apart and put it back together again. This week, we are on chapters five and six of Selling to the Sea Suite by Nicholas A.C. Reed and Stephen J. Bistritz. Have you got on with this week? Uh, well, the, the book overall, I've got to say, is a good book. It's a little cracker for me. D- dense. I think little is the wrong word, actually. It's yes. Dense. You've got to read it. Yeah, the, this is not one, guys. Uh, interestingly, there isn't an audible version of this book. I can see why. And it's not a book that you would read well you, you can't at 5am in your car on the way to Reading. I'll tell you why you can't read it, right? You can't read it in an airport lounge with one of your kids mithering you about there being no Wi-Fi. <laughs> No, and it and it won't go well. Like I say, when you just go out of bed, it it, no. it requires attention and thought because actually it's full of good stuff. Yeah. So chapter five is called "How to Gain Access to the C-Suite." I put, "Oh, this should be a good read." And what did you make of it? Uh, well, that I, I, I always write, as you know, in the chapter. Um, I've put quite a good chapter, and I will try the different access routes suggested. No, I can't remember what they are. We'll have to read it because I've to put my notes in the book. But I obviously quite like it. So I think the probably the first and most interesting thing that comes out of this chapter, and it's actually the opening line of the chapter, is according to our research with C-level executives, the most effective way to gain access is through a recommendation by somebody in the executive's company. A full 84% of executives said that they would usually or always grant a meeting with a salesperson who had been recommended internally. That's interesting, because I did say that, uh, you know, a couple That's of big, shows ago it? about social proof, and I said the best leads are always referrals. Now, this is talking about internally in the company, obviously, but it's a very similar thing. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you've got um, a relationship with a chap who is a chairman of a group of companies. Five software companies, yeah. Um, and I was going to that. <laughs> you know, you, you, you've done pretty well out of that. Yeah, yeah, it was it was interesting. Well, what's interesting about that actually, and this is a slightly different topic, but it, you know, something I've always sort of thought is you should stay as high up the food chain as you can. Now, interestingly, the guy that said so there was an MD of a software company who I've known for years, phoned me and said, "Listen, Mike, our chairman's recruiting these other businesses. Any chance you want to meet him?" Uh, uh, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but actually, when you look at it, the MD is lower down the food chain than the chairman. So I got access to the higher food chain by going in at a lower level. But your credibility and your performance with that MD had been such that he was prepared to put his neck on the line and get you that meeting. Oh, I was doing a good job for him, yeah. But my point is, 
I, I can't remember if it's in this book or not because I don't know where we're up to where it fits in the chapter about selling top down and bottom up selling both do we, do we discuss that in this book Yes, a little bit. I thought we did a little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So he said, then cold calling ranked the lowest with only 20% of participants saying they would usually grant a meeting as a result. While 44% said they would never respond to cold calls. A letter or email sent before the call improves the odds only slightly. And I wrote here, are you sure? We're finding actually a lot of people are so shit at cold calling that it's got got a little bit easier. The, the last update I could see in the book, I don't know why my phone keeps pinging, the last update I could see in the book, uh, sorry about Lily, was from 2014 though. I think a lot's changed in five years. Massive amount, yeah. Because I don't agree with the cold calling thing. I took, we've said it a couple of shows now. Yeah, we have. But, I, I, you know, he's got the research and I haven't. Yeah, and then we've got a few pages about China that aren't worth reading. Yeah, no, I didn't put anything um, at all. I actually put, this is dull and boring. <laughs> I'm looking forward to telling telling our guest when he comes on the show. Well, Carl, be perfect, can it, Johnny? No, and there's been lots Carl of it that's be been interesting. There's lots, there's lots been interesting. Um, Here's a uh, good one. That, well, page 106. That's where I'm at How now. How do executives screen and test salespeople? Which I think is a really interesting bit. I think so. And he talks about executive roadblocks, doesn't he? Yes. I, tell you, I, I, you know, I like I, this one. Contact the executive when there's any significant event in the customer's market, even if it's unrelated to the current sales campaign. Yes. So, you know, I was taught when I first started, I mean, we're talking Howard Jackson days here, back in the late 90s. Um, I was always taught to read the trade press and pick up on, on things that had happened. I was taught the same. I was, and in I those was... days, I used to sit with a, literally a Stanley knife, cutting articles out of magazines and sticking them to index cards as reasons to ring up people and talk to them about their businesses. And that's what I used to do. I used to find an article about talking about how they'd just won a big deal, and I'd think, right, they've just won a really big deal. Well, that must have created some extra profit. Maybe they're going to spend some of that profit on recruitment. There you go. And I used to literally, with a prick stick, stick the article to an index card, and then it used to go in my callbacks. Yeah, absolutely. I remember I used to send articles to people. Yeah, just read this about you. Looks you really interesting. Promoted. Well done. Congratulations. Congrats. Hope your mum's proud. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. It, it broke the ice, didn't it? It's an ice, uh, well, at that level, for us, selling to who we were selling to at the time, they were good icebreakers, but they were good demonstrators that we'd done a bit of homework and that we were interested in the client's company. I like this bit. The chief causes of roadblocks are the following. Executives delegate meetings of this type. It's the formal process used in this organisation. The executive is too busy to schedule meetings with external suppliers. The executive's previous experience with salespeople suggests that they should be seen by lower-level executives first. And that's what he, he refers to as the chief cause of roadblocks. And, and I thought he was going to make more about that. What's very interesting is the second one, the formal process used in this, in this organisation, you know, that's a lot about tendering, I think, and that, that's what happens. My slight annoyance with this is, I think, and I'm not annoyed at the book, but I think a lot of salespeople that I meet use those roadblocks as an excuse because they're afraid of approaching the executive. Afraid? Yeah, afraid, I think. Afraid how? I think people are... I think very often people are afraid of rejection from somebody that they don't necessarily see themselves as appear to be. This is the point I was making a couple of shows ago. I know, yeah, and, that, and I agree with you on it. I think you were just poo-pooing me to an extent because you wanted to talk about it now as it became really, more relevant. because I knew it came up later on. Yeah. Um, but I think that happens... 
you know, an, a, an awful lot. You you were going to say it's about belonging in the room and he doesn't cover it and blah de blah. Yes. But I think a lot of the time, you know, if you said to a public sector suit to a public sector salesperson, why do you fill in a tender? Oh, because that's just the way that we do it. The actual answer is because I feel comfortable doing that because I, I don't feel comfortable trying to influence the outcome of it. Oh, it's a much bigger conversation about influence, isn't it? And how people perceive themselves at an identity level that their job is to influence the outcome. And that their job... A lot, of, a lot of that in healthcare. Loads. Loads. I don't imagine... I don't know many of the candidates. I look after them when you go on holiday and fall out. What's interesting is very, 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 very few of my healthcare candidates listen to book club. Oh, do they not? Yeah, because they don't see themselves as salespeople. Just, just trusted advisors. Ironically. They don't even see themselves as trusted advisors. What do they see themselves as? I'm not quite sure. A lot with a lot of them. <laughs> I'm not uh, sure. The ones I place are usually the really good ones. We've got an offer for a guy recently at the end of last week. You know, who's pretty close to I think accepting and resigning. Yeah. You know where he's at, and Richard Harrison. Who, <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> uh, but but you know, to me, he strikes me as a man that will influence people. He's a real salesman, yeah. But actually, often I find they, they don't actually see it as their job to in, in, in public sector and healthcare and in a lot of those environments, they don't actually see it truly as their gig to influence the outcome. Anyway, getting past the roadblocks, this is a good bit. So then we get on to, he says, how you should get that past the roadblocks. That coffee is hideous. And he talks about, I don't pay you on, but he talks about sponsors, referrals, gatekeepers. Yes, different I, ways. I don't agree with this at all. What? Gatekeeper. Treat the gatekeeper. Oh, don't attempt to circumvent the gatekeeper unless you have a high degree of confidence you can obtain the meeting with the executive. I, guess, I wrote here, I just simply don't like the idea of selling to a gatekeeper. It just doesn't sound right. The other bit is great. I'm sorry, I... I, I over, implement, uh, implement an overt approach. Yeah, fair enough. I'm going to throw a challenge out, Mike. Use a credible sponsor. Referral. Use a referral. Good. Gatekeeper, use the gatekeeper. What? I, I want to throw a challenge out here. I, uh, we've got quite a few listeners on this show now. You're all sat in your cars. If any of you have got an actual story of where you have sold to a gatekeeper and then in doing so it has leveraged you into an appointment with a C-level executive, call me and we'll feature it on the show. Because I tell you what, you're absolutely right. So I know a couple of chief execs, as you know, you know who they are. In their current company, I am sure I could phone their, their, their executive assistant and say, listen, it's Mike, I'd like to meet with Bill. Yeah, I need an hour with him, I please. need an hour with him. And I reckon that EA would say, yeah, all right, fair enough, Mike. Because they know who you are. Because they know I do loads of resources. But let's say that chief exec, Bill, went to another company. Yeah. Got another EA. <laughs> and I phoned the EA and said, listen. Hey, I, it's Mike. I've known Bill for years. Can I have an appointment? <laughs> Duh. And that's when I bloody know the guy. Yeah. So yeah. if I don't know the guy, what are the chances? Absolutely zero. I concur. I'm not going and to maybe that. that's our experience as recruiters. Maybe because we're such a pariah or deemed potentially a pariah as an industry that our experience with gatekeepers is such. But I refuse I, I, to believe that you can influence a gatekeeper completely, into completely. giving you an appointment. Now, here's, an, here's good. So, page 111, legs triple 11. Initial contact with the executive in Appendix B. I keep going on about this appendix. It, it is really, really, really call. good. I mean, the, the template in an initial phone call to an executive, I don't know if you've read it, is absolutely excellent. It is, but and I've written it again here, and we've talked about it in earlier shows about this book. The whole thing, prepare your approach, prepare your introduction, use the template to prepare your call. 
it's brilliant. And when I, you know, when I was first at Parcel Force, you used to, have, if you went on an appointment, you used to have to fill in this green sheet thing. Mm. And the green sheet was like about eight pages of call planning. And it's right, you know, I think I'd be interested to know how many people still are out there on the streets call not, planning. Not many, before young, they, not many young people will. I no, think. but the industry has changed and the desire of companies to scale quickly, particularly the hotter technology companies at the hotter end of the market, their desire to scale is such that they don't want and it is antithetic to their growth model to have salespeople filling in green sheets and preparing lengthily because that is the antithesis of rapid scale. You're absolutely right. So, it, so if I'm running a an SAP partner and I've got 30 staff and three salesmen and I'm trying to punch above my weight to do deals... And you, and you probably don't get many appointments. And we're probably not getting that many opportunities. Damn right, that's the approach. I agree. But I think that... It's not an all size. It doesn't fit all sizes. Just all for those people who are listening to, so you've got your main head of his initial contact with the executives, and then he goes on to give a, a few different points of what you should do, preparing your approach, introduction. I think in introduction, this is great. Don't assume they'll already be mentally disengaged from their previous meeting by the time they start talking with you. God, I say that all the time. Three purpose. I think this is the most important. One of the best lines in this book is why are you explain ringing? the purpose of the call. You'll have to explain to the executive why you're calling The him. reason I am calling you today is... I just think that's so important. Whether yeah. you and I were... Up, that was just absolutely so, drummed so into us, wasn't it? And very often, you know, you get the same as me. You get somebody calling you up to your mobile contract, blah, blah, blah. You, you sit there Hi, thinking, is that Mr... Well, you hear, the first thing you hear is the noise of a call centre. Hi, is that Mr Graham? Are you well? Yep. Uh, which I'm already turned off. As opposed to, good morning, my name's Jonathan Graham, I'm calling from. The reason for my call is... The reason for my call, 100%. Now, I think I'm good at canvassing. And I think if I had to instil, you know, honey, my eldest daughter, she'll become a salesperson soon enough. <laughs> if I had to, in, she didn't want to, we had this conversation, but let's just she go She's not made it. a career choice at 11 yet. Well, she wants to be a teacher. Right. So she has, actually. Fair play. But she ain't going to be a... But let's say she was, and she was sat here, and she's 18 years old, she said, right, what do I do? So the first, one of the key things you have to do is always phone people on the mobile. Don't say, how are you? Line one is, I am calling because. The reason, the reason for, for my, my call, call is. is. Yeah. Because then you're A, they might not be mentally broken off what they're doing. That's fine. It breaks that. And B, they are then more likely, I think, to listen to what you've got I to also say. think not asking people how they are is a state break. People almost go, ooh, what do you mean? He hasn't gone into the whole, hi, how are you? I'm friendly. Do, do you know what's funny, actually? Some of my clients now, they'll go, I, I, I You I often can't. sound deliberately miserable when you're cold calling. I always do, yeah. You often, after I hear you cold calling, I think, Jesus, he sounds deliberately depressed. Yeah, because you don't want to give that whole, hi, I'm cold calling and it's all going to be fine and I'm a radio presenter. Smile, why not? Yeah. Well, you're creating a new reaction, aren't you? Yeah, How are absolutely. you now creates a reaction in people's mind that says... Oh, it's salesperson. Yep. And actually, my clients, they do. It's a nervousness, isn't it? We used to have that fella um, where he'd say, hello, it's Dave, Dave Smith. I'm not going to say it was Greg Owens. Um, (laughs) And he used to go, hi, it's Greg, Greg Owen. And it's actually, how are you today? And it's a nervousness thing. Yeah. As opposed to the certainty of, it's Michael Price. I'm calling from Inward Revenue. The reason for my call is, and they're a bit like, who's this geezer? 
exactly why they listen to you. And, and you know, it's interesting. Some of my clients that they now they'll go, "Hi, Mike, how are you doing?" I'll go, "Yeah, not bad." Anyway, and, and, and a few of them that know me well will go, "Aren't you going to ask me?" I say, "Well, no. We, well, you didn't really listen to my answer anyway, did you?" And they go, "No, I didn't actually." <laughs> yeah, but that's because you're at that point where you can start having the banter. Funny, isn't it? Yeah. What, anyway. did, what did my daughter say the other week? She said, "Oh." God, dad makes out works really hard, but all he does is sit and take the piss out of his customers all day. <laughs> yeah, when I'm working from home, sometimes my wife, yeah, she, 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 all you seem to do is just take the, take the mickey out of your customers and your candidates. Anyway, um, so we've read a lot of good stuff out of that chapter. And, yes. And, and I think it's a good chapter, that, in terms of getting to C-suite. You know, it, it, it's telling you about the roadblocks that are there. I think the five points, if you read it on page 111, those five points of how to construct your call is good. Yeah. And the other three routes of how to get in, which is basically make a really good pitch, you know, actually go for it. Get the a referral. Thrills. It's really it's made me rethink my relationship with Go Give Us Sell More by Bob Berg, you know. Which, to be fair, was a really interesting book for me because I hated, 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 hated it when we read it and discussed it on Book Club. And then I gave Bob a go with some go giving. And all the go-giving I've done has come back in spades. Always does, yeah. And I deliberately had like a month where I really went out of my way to just do things that were really helpful for people. And, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, connect one client. Like I, uh, I introduced a company that I was working with to another organisation that were a potential partner of theirs. And I hooked yeah. them up. And that, and at the time I was like, well, where's my bloody job spec, you bastard? And actually about three months after we did it, it kind of came back all in a really nice way. It's interesting. I've just hooked two people together, actually. Yes, on Friday, which is a guy that wants a distribution company. Right. And, and, the, and it just happens I know this guy. The only guy I know, actually, in distribution. And I've put them together in Bar. This guy that, that, that I, he couldn't have been happier. He said, right, Mike, what do you want, what do you want, what do you want? I'll get, I'll, you know, referrals. And I said, well, I could do some candidates, actually. I bet i get some candidates. Well, it always, it just and sort of finds it its way. No, you can see it just finds its way back. But the point is, actually, those referrals, they are, it's a whole boatload easier than picking up the phone and dialing yeah, it. Yeah. Now, here's the one, Jonathan. This is chapter six. Don't say anything. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, how to establish credibility with the C-suite. Now, for everyone listening, I'm just not going to talk, I don't think. All right, so I've John got... going to rant. I've got an issue here, and I've written this on page 124, but I might as well start it now. I think there is a massive elephant in the room of this book. Go on. The elephant in the room is the question of whether you actually intrinsically, not you, Mike, but you, Vu, the audience, the world, the universe, are you intrinsically a C-level player? Now, can I answer that a little bit more because I, I do agree with you actually. yeah I do and you're on about being comfortable in the room with the people I think there's a whole gestalt of things here Mike but okay but let's just say for the purpose of this conversation it's being comfortable in the room with the person yes now belonging belonging now I think it comes from one of two places personally yeah I think either a you've got the all-round accomplishment you know your research you've done it before or B, you don't care what anybody thinks of you. Ah, you see, you, I, I, you're seeing it from a, as a, from a different angle to me. There's two angles, because you know, Johnny, I don't really care what people think about me. No. So actually, will I go and say the chief exec? Yep, because I don't care what they think. 
It's for me, I don't care if they're opinions. When I, I thought about this this morning, so I went out of coffee this morning, and I was doing a couple of things. I was working on the budget spreadsheet, and then I had a quick look through the through the uh, book just to fami- re-familiarise myself with my notes. And I was really thinking about this question. And when I first started with it, I started to think it was a matter, a socio-demographic thing. Part of it's there, I think. And I was thinking, let's get it right. Privately, if, privately educated public school. If you put, thank you. If uh, if you put a hundred chief execs from the top one hundred companies in front of me now, mm. I reckon eighty-five to ninety percent of them will have been privately educated. Yeah, agree. eighty-five to ninety percent of them will have probably MBAs from top schools, but there'll be a ten percent. Well, you've got Alan Sugar, haven't you? You've probably got GCSEs or whatever. I ain't got two GCSEs to have together, son. Probably, yeah. Right? And the reality is that true C-level individuals are usually uncommon people. And what I mean by uncommon is they're people that we don't often meet. They are different they have they, reached a level. A they were at the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix this weekend. They have reached a level in their career that is different to that which most reach. Why? Because they are uncommon. They are a, a, a one of a small few in life and in society. Now there is an argument that would say that's class, demographics, private education. I don't believe that. I just believe that more often than not they're an uncommon type of human that has risen above others from a career perspective. Now, the problem with that is to to engage and work and be part of that world, you yourself have to be an uncommon person to an extent that they will rate you. And let's get it right. You and I both know when you walk into that room, they check you out. And they check you out for two things. Are you like me? Do I do I associate with you? And as he says, do you have something useful for me? The second's the point. I think I met a guy recently, um, and interestingly, he hurt his knee. So he said, "Can you come meet me at my house?" Wasn't yeah, yeah, yeah. His house was incredible. Yeah, you, <laughs> I mean, it was that incredible that Mike rang me after the meeting. I'll never do that. He rang me the moment he walks out of the meeting. Unbelievable. But what was interesting about him is, it, and you know what? It's interesting. It's in central London. I said, so on the on the. Uh, doorstep. I said, what car do you drive? It's going to be a good one. He went, that one over there. Mega car said, you haven't even got... A parking you- space yeah. outside your own house. <laughs> no, he was laughing. But the point is, is, you've hit the nail on the head. He's at an identity level, he was a salesperson. Yes. Chief exec, chairman, whatever. Identity of salesperson. So we connected at an identity level. But your point is, an identity level, a lot of these C-level execs... They're different human beings. There's, they, they read different... I'll tell you what's really interesting. I, I mentioned in, in, in the first show of this particular book, I know a guy who is a, a C-level individual. For example, if, he, he, if he's on a train to London today to a meeting, he won't have his laptop out. You told me that. He reads storybooks. He'll read a novel or he'll be reading really intense philosophy. Nuts. Anyway, let's see what this guy says. Yes. So that's, so, that, so that's my issue is if you really want to play in the C-suite and I think that that's the elephant in the room of this book is there's a whole lot more to it. It's about who you are intrinsically and can you work and be in their world. Now he's saying there's a knack to it which is if you research enough and do enough homework, yada, yada, yada. But I think there's more to it than that. Yeah, but let's actually discuss his book. Yes. 
Because that's what it is. So what's he saying? Credibility. He talks about the credibility gap, doesn't he? He does, yeah. And how you can, how you can, how you can close the credibility gap. So it's very interesting. I think is uh, th- this song. I don't know what page you're on. I'm on page 125. There's two really important things. Is one is responsiveness to requests. You know, I'm going to whine about. That's the Andy Paul thing. You know, I'm going to whine about batch processing, etc. Yeah. So now a lot of the reason the clients like me is because I'm quick to get back to them. Yeah. Really quick to get back. Though to that them. was the Andy Paul thing. Who was Andy Paul? Andy Paul in Amp Up Your Sales was just... Um, oh, second to, book. To be fair to Andy Paul, the, one of the core premises of that book is uh, the most responsive guy wins. Yeah, yeah, and he's right. The second is willingness to be held accountable. I think that is really, really, really important. Accountability. Oh, in our game it is. In every game, I suspect. Yes. In absolutely every game, I think. Yeah. Understanding business goals and objectives. Yeah. He's and he talks here. here about closing the credibility gap. I like his little graphic on this. Yes, absolutely. So his graphic on the uh, y-axis, which for those of you who didn't study mathematics, um, <laughs> is the vertical one. Up. On the x-axis, which for those Across. of you who didn't study mathematics, is the horizontal one. He's got integrity up the left, capability along the bottom. Um, and then he's got this thing saying you've got to work towards top right-hand corner, which is trusted advisor. Yeah. Which I think is, is a, and he's going to say it's a combination of integrity Integrity and capability. Now, just going back to your point, Jonathan. Yeah. None of those are referencing any form of socio-demographic background. No, and know. neither should it. You know, I know some really top guys who who are you, you know, you from very blue-collar life yeah, backgrounds. You don't, need, you don't need to be a public school educator to have no, integrity. No, absolutely you not. You don't need to have public school education to have capability. Of course not. Of course not. I do not. get your point. I'm, I'm but, arguing for the sake but of it, really. But what you'll often find is... You'll meet sometimes. I work with a candidate or a client where you think, Wow, this is a real C level player, and, you, and they might be a rough lad made good, but they've made good and they've worked hard on that aspect of their personal game. And they deliver well, and they deliver well, but they've worked hard on that aspect of their personal being that allows them to be in the room. Yes, I agree with that. I, 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 yes, I do agree with that. And, the, and a lot of that isn't just about, well, I've understood your industry and I've understood your market. A lot of that is, actually, I've, I'm well-read, I'm well-cultured, I'm articulate. Imagine selling to Tim Cook. Who's he? The CEO of Apple. I knew he was. Right? What? what, what he's going to be a, a, an uncommon human, isn't he? It's interesting, actually. There's a guy, I can't remember his name now, Peter something. He's very Peter Wilkinson. I don't know him. Uh, in technology guy yeah yeah uh, I saw him on the train right um, and and we're in the same carriage and, and he was on the phone all the time and he was dressed like someone of Pirates of the Caribbean he just looked <laughs> incredible and I know this other guy that knows him and he said that's what he's like Mike he just said, a character it's just a character he said Bert he's very comfortable with who he is and he said the one thing that the guy doesn't really like are people who are false around him Right. And that's integrity, isn't it? Yes. But anyway, talking about this graph, integrity versus capability, it then says, so, so then the top right-hand corner is called the client value zone. It said, you'll know when you're in the client value zone, when the executive, A, shares confidential information with you, unveils, it, unveils his long-term plans, and then there's some very good points that are a good metric as to whether you're in that top right-hand corner uh, and, and whether you are yes. close to Yes, asks you to come in at an early stage, asks you for advice on issues. Mm asks you to sit in on strategic planning meetings or staff meetings, asks you to help him write a requirements definition, obviously, asks you to meet him at an off-site location so that he can reveal critical information. So I don't like to meet clients off-site. I, I do with the ones that I know. 
Yeah, so new, new prospects. I don't like meeting new prospects off site. Oh, a new prospect meeting me off site says I haven't got the budget or the authority to do this hire. Correct, absolutely. I agree with you. Now it's interesting at the bottom of page one hundred and twenty-eight. I wrote golf days. Now what happened recently is I was invited to a golf day by one of our clients. So I went, right. you know, show my face. T- yeah. t- took along a prize. Uh, it was a bottle of gin from Harvey Nicks, which went down very, very well. nice. Now, what's interesting is... Well, it went down very well as in you drank it, or it went down as a prize. When I was driving, when right. I was driving down there, yeah. Right. And what's interesting is, is I learned so much about that account by wandering around a golf course with that person. Yeah. It was fascinating, actually. And when I look back and think on why I've done such a good job with them, because I know that account now. Now, if you're a salesperson, or if I had a salesperson... And working, you know stuff about that account you would just never see in a report or... You know, they're Absolutely. a public company. Yeah, PLC. You'd never see it in an annual report. Yeah. Absolutely. That political subtext. Very I mean, you and I have talked about it a lot in that particular account, but it, it is true, isn't it? You know, you've got out of it what you know now from a credibility perspective well, and, understanding right of, the, right and, a, and an understanding of the pain. Mm. Now, here's an interesting page 129. Blah, 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 blah. Our research, as, as well as the experience of the IBM salespeople, clearly indicates that personal feelings are usually not the deciding factor. Instead, people buy from people they trust. Yeah, I wrote that. Is a more accurate description. So when you combine buy from a, people they trust. Yes, more than people they like. Correct. And we, uh, and I, I'm a complete believer in that. Me too, yeah. Me too. You I don't mean, have to be... Ma- oh, you, lots of the books say... Sometimes it. a candidate will say to me, I have great relationships with some of my clients. Some of them are friends. And I think, hmm, right, that's why, you, that's why you're on the phone with me now. Yeah, and I don't want to denigrate that, because it's in, but it's interesting. I've done lots of business with a few companies, you know, focused on a few. Am I friends with Bill, that chief exec? No. No. He, he doesn't need our you biggest, as his mate. Our biggest spending account, the guy that runs that, lives probably 15 miles away from me, as I said, maximum. Yeah. I've been out for a few beers with him. Great guy. He could hang about with me the weekend. Yeah. I didn't invite him out on Saturday. No. He'd had a good time with my mates and everything. But we're not friends. I think you need a degree of separation at times. No, you're an advi- you, You're a supplier and an advisor. Absolutely. You're somebody that he calls upon when he needs advice about recruitment, salespeople, salespeople, bodies, getting getting good people on board, why he is and why he isn't. What do you make their of this one? How to make an impression on an executive? There's a table here. We can't go through it because there's too much information. But it's well, 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 well worth reading. Yes, just he breaks it into demonstrated accountability, understood my business goals, listened before prescribing. That is... It's worth buying the book just to look at that from a priority and order and perspective. Read it and, then, and then he breaks down the point. So he says, demonstrated accountability, um, understood my business goals, listened before prescribing a solution. I made now, a that's note That's a real here. irony. Page 133. This is one of the things that C-level execs find you know, credible is that you listen before prescribing a solution. And have a list of consultative type T- questions. T- tell me this, Jonathan. So um, candidate phones you as a percentage how many say, what jobs have you got for me? Before you've interviewed them. A lot. Oh, I know. 65, 70? 80. Yeah. And I feel like saying to them, well, I don't know what you're looking for, so... I don't know anything about you, I don't know you. So why would I do that? And, you know, that's what we end up saying, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But equally on this point, um, I, I, I wrote here, if you're selling to the C-suite and you have a list of canned questions, you're in the wrong place. Yes, yes. Depends and he can- talks about how the importance of having this sort of list of canned questions. And I wrote here that what the, the real issue is that you get it. 
That's what. Well, that's if you want to if you want to establish credibility with the C suite. How often do clients will say say to you? Sometimes, if they're being complimentary, they'll say the thing is, you guys just get it, don't you? Yes. Do you know what's interesting actually? And you on a subject that I was going to come to in a minute is I, I, something that's not on the list. I don't know why. Maybe it's just me. But I think how to establish a credibility with a C suite executive, and I'm talking, you know, chief execs really in our parlance because we only sell to CFOs, is an ability to demonstrate that you have understood them. Yes, their so world. Like, yeah, so I like to get to the end of the meeting and I like to say, listen, can I explain to you what I think you're looking for and what I think your problem is? Yeah, summary. I think that that is just super helpful. Because sometimes they'll say, no, you've missed it, Mike. But, but the, yeah, exactly right. You've missed it. You've super. missed the point, Mike. All right, okay. Well, tell me again. Go on. Let's do it again. Yeah, yeah I've got this client at the minute where it's, uh, you know, this, this payments company in the construction market. He explained the product to me. When you get it, I went, absolutely no idea. No. Nope. And he laughed and he went, well, none of the clients do either. I'll explain it again. <laughs> but I think he'd asked me as like a test. Yeah, he just wanted to see. Because he didn't expect me to get it. He wanted to see if you were weak enough to go, yeah, 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 I get it, and then not get it. Now, here's an interesting one. Well, we do score very well, and this is about credibility with C-level, is knowledge of the industry or company. Yeah. Well, what's this all about? What's Book Club all about? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's all part of our selling to our C-suite customers from a credibility play, isn't it? That's what we're doing here. Yes. And it says here, page 136, you want to develop insights about your client's industry that impact your client's company, insights the client executive may Doesn't be unaware know. of, which can help them achieve their objectives or goals. Completely. Now, there's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant piece in the appendix. I can't remember what page it is now. I think it's page 156 where it talks about using that to then uh, create an email. Yeah, it is. It's page 159, actually. Um, and I think, as an example, right now, what I've been saying to a few of the clients is um, about this. There's just a general move, I think. You've seen it on your desk more than mine, really, which is about people uh, not providing any benefits but just giving people more money. Yeah. You see that a lot more. Yeah. I, think, I, think, I don't get that as much. Well, that's come doing quite a few US companies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they don't want to, they can't be, but literally, they can't be bothered well, creating not, a business entity in the UK. Yeah, yeah, but it's more than that, isn't it? But so, so I've been saying to clients, I've been explaining this, and I say that is what the, the people that you're interviewing, that's what they now expect. Yes. And they, the clients go, right. And I say, so what that's going to mean for you is that this happens. And they go, right, great. And what happened, and when you explain it like that, what it means is, particularly in sales recruitment, it affects the quality of the people that they can therefore hire. But you have to be at the C-suite to have those conversations. Absolutely. Because if so you're selling in the wrong place, if you're with the wrong, sometimes you find that there's friction in those conversations, that the, that the, the person in front yeah. of you is almost aggressive in their response to what you well, think is advice. Well, you know who the client and you, is. And you realise, actually, you're aggressive because you can't change that. Well, well, you know who the client is, Jonathan. One of our clients, a good client, their benefits package is pathetic. Dreadful. <laughs> it was <laughs> funny dreadful. about it, actually. I said to him, I said, have you got any healthcare cover? He said, no, but we've got a very good health and safety policy, so they shouldn't get injured at work. <laughs> and he was sort of taking the mickey because he knows how bad it is. But I said that to sales manager and sales director. They know it's bad. They've not communicated that to the CFO. Yeah. So it hinders who they can recruit. So that it's going to hit the sales made, which is going to hit the CFO's bottom line. Yes. And that's the sort of this this chapter. That's the whole really. point, isn't it? You and, want to be credible. This chapter is reaching out to the CFO and say, "Did you know that's happening? And did you know you're selling less? Yeah. Therefore, that's why you're and I, and I keep a track on the share price. That's why your share price has gone like that. That's why because you're not paying enough benefits." 
because you're not competitive in the job market. And that's what this chapter is about, reaching out to the And you're hiring B-rate players. C-level exec is saying that, and the C-level exec going, well, oh, I didn't well, know. That's bloody good advice. I didn't know, thank you. But actually, if you're selling it to the mid-level exec, it can't, it can't I find sometimes you, you give advice to certain levels of exec and you think, I'm being really helpful here and I'm really giving them some really solid advice. But they bite back and you realise it's because actually you can't influence. Because they're not what, Jonathan? You said it last week, you're 100% right. It's because they're well, not the man. They're not the man. They don't have money authority yeah, need. They can't influence it. And therefore they get pissed off with you because you're telling them what they already know but they can't change it. And they don't have the power to go to the person who can. Yeah, I agree. Chapter seven, unless you've got anything else on this one. Nope. Chapter seven, how to create value for the C-suite. Okay, what do you make of this one? They're all good. You know you, you, you know they're all good. So, so page 145, structuring meetings with the executive. There is a template in Appendix B. See, executive meeting. Look. Executive Plus, have we, have we gone on a show here? Oh, have we got another show, Lily? We've just done five and six. Oh, right, rewind. Well, I'm not... No, no, it doesn't matter. We can either Lily can cut it out or we can just admit that I was got so excited that I overran. I think it was more about the excitement that we overran. We'll see you all next week. 